Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time for another Benny J bonus interview brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. Here's a headline in the New York Times to give you a sense of what's going on in the world. Around U.S., voting offices raise security, responding to barrage of violent rhetoric. Here's the lead. This, this one here is just, in Wisconsin, one of the nation's key swing states, cameras and plexiglass now fortify the reception area of a county election office in Madison, the capital, after man wearing camouflage and a mask try to open locked doors during an election in April. And there's similar anecdotes from Arizona, Colorado. MAGA has lost its freaking mind. It feels it could do absolutely anything. It feels a certain imperviousness as though the law doesn't abide to them. Uh, they've been assured by Steve Bannon and Donald Trump that should Republicans take control of the White House and in Congress, it'll be payback time. And all those Democrats who are interrogating Republicans, well, the shoe will be on the other foot and they'll be interrogated. And you better save your notes and your tapes, Democrats, because you're going to jail. And uh, so the party that created lock them up and they've taken it one step further. And um, I think it's uh, pretty clear that people better wake up. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. It's been too long since we had a conversation, and we'll start right in. So introduce yourself, distinguished guest. Well, thanks, Ben. It's great to be back on the show. I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University, uh, contributing writer at The Week and at Newsweek, and uh, the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics. And I do believe that book is still for sale out there in the world somewhere, Ben. So... Um, it's definitely in the shelves of the Chicago Public Library or any public library, really, outside of Magaland. So I urge everybody to read it. It should be a textbook for Democrats. Uh, all right, uh, David, so much going on uh, in the world, so much to uh, discuss. I guess I'll just uh, start off since I began with uh, my reflections on MAGA feeling impervious. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about something that you mentioned briefly. Uh, and is that and that's the state of denial of MAGA people. Uh, you alluded to a round table that you saw in the New York Times where the collected MAGA brains of the New York Times sat down uh, and talked about how they were going to win, I guess, the uh, the congressional elections uh, in November, that things were looking good for MAGA. I, I assume that I didn't read the story. I assume that's what you were getting at. So let's discuss that a little bit. Talk about the MAGA state of mind, the confidence that they have uh, as we head in uh, to the election season. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that there's um, an understandable reluctance to admit that the political environment has changed and the political environment has changed based on something that Republicans have long sought, is the, which is doing away with Roe v. Wade. That's something they've been working towards for 40 years. 
and that is to if that was to make abortion illegal either nationally or in a bunch of states controlled by republicans they did just that after a long project of stuffing the supreme court with federalist society ideologues um <clears throat> and now they caught the car right uh the, the, the dog caught the car as they say I feel we've discussed this metaphor before um on on this show i feel like the dog would just get in the car and everybody would be fine but um but the you know the Republicans got exactly what they wanted, you know, and I, I, I do think it, it's probably worth it to them to lose an election in, in exchange for what they have achieved here. Um, but it's like they, they can't seem to process that the thing that they had the Supreme Court do is deeply unpopular and, and that it, um, it, it essentially reset the whole political environment so that it's at worst neutral for Democrats. Actually, a lot of the numbers look like um, Democrats have a small lead on the generic congressional ballot, the poll that asks you whether you're going to vote for a Democrat or Republican for Congress. And the Democrats are doing well in a, in a bunch of uh, really critical uh, governor's races and Senate races. Um, you know, a, a Democrat was just elected to represent the state of Alaska in the U.S. House in a special election. Um, Mary Patolta, don't ask me, Ben, why we have special elections to fill a seat for like eight weeks. It makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> but that's what they did. Um, and so there's all sort of data points pointing towards um, a real worsening of the Republican position in this election. Not not that um, I think the Republicans are going to get like wiped out or anything, but um, but certainly Democrats are in a better position than they were. They have a pretty good chance of holding the Senate. They have a fighter's chance at the House. I'm skeptical. Um, but but if nothing else, um, things are looking better than they were. And then the New York Times brought together uh, Ross Dutha, you know, the conservative columnist for the for the times um Kristen soltis anderson who's a pollster and then i don't know why they keep doing this but they invited eric erickson to be a part of this this panel do you know eric erickson no just a complete sociopath uh he, he was one of the, the people that started red state uh the, the okay. long, long time ago yeah um, and he's just a you know a, a hysterical person who's constantly tweeting out just like completely deranged stuff you know like one day he'll be like we should execute all the women who have abortions the next day he'll be like gop's getting too extreme he's just all over the place right yeah <laughs> um just all over the place like has nothing interesting to say about anything um but for but for some reason has been given approach at the times to to opine on a semi-regular basis which is just outrageous because he's really really a bad person anyway uh, it's there's a, there's a lot of motivated reasoning going on. It's not just in this roundtable, but it's um, overall. So Erickson says uh, he looked at the polling averages and for midterm elections where Republicans have done well at this time of the year, the polling has narrowed, um, which is not true. <laughs> Sorry. It's just there's no evidence of this uh, in, in the data that we have. Also, we don't really have data going back past 2006 or so, so we really have no idea. Um, but the reality is, I'm sorry, Eric, if you look at the actual data from their website that you're citing, which is real clear politics, you'll see that the party that wins the midterm elections has started to pull away by now. Um, anytime there's going to be a big wave. Um, and the fact that Republicans are not pulling away, um, are not increasing their lead on that ballot, are not doing better than expected in any of these Senate races. In fact, many are doing worse, um, suggests that they're, they're not going to do that. Great. Um, that, that, uh, I think that we are more likely than not to be talking about this election as one of the exceptions to the midterm losses rule. And they can't, they just like can't wrap their heads around it because they can't accept that that something that's really important to them um, is deeply unpopular with the country at large. Um, and there's a, there's a few things on our side that may be true uh, about that too, right? But like that we didn't, we didn't have the Supreme Court 
do something uh, both horribly immoral and destructive and also deeply unpopular. They did. They did it. And now they're starting to pay for it. And they don't like it. Yeah. Let's get into that. Uh, that point you uh, just made. Uh, the reality that the uh, Republicans are pushing policies uh, that are very unpopular with people. And uh, we've talked so many times on this show, not just you, but other guests talked about, well, it, it could be talking about raising the minimum wage. It could be talking about eradicating student loan. It could be talking about abortion rights or climate change. And the guest will invariably say, well, the polls show that the American public uh, actually favors gun control. You know what I'm saying? And of course, the Republicans are against every single one of these things, fighting like hell against them, and never seem to pay a price for it. And that's why they get cocky and arrogant. They think they can say anything, do anything, be anything, and they'll still win. And then even when they lose, they'll cheat and force a recount. So they'll win even when they lose. All right, sorry for that riff. Um, so, so I just took <laughs> off. I don't know where it came from. Uh, so, David, do you think that among, I know you don't hang out with uh, MAGA strategists, but in some back room, MAGA strategists are coming to the realization that, you know, boys, we may have gone too far uh, with this eradication of abortion rights, like where they're forcing 10-year-olds to carry a child, 10-year-olds uh, who have been raped to carry the rapist child. Do you think they're come to that conclusion or are they just such in a state of denial that they can't get there? I think the I think the hardcore mega people are in a deep state of denial. Um, I think the few remaining sort of sane um, traditional strategists in the party understand that they have a problem. And uh, even those people might say, you know, if you got them in a room, they say like, well, you know, we got what we wanted. If we lose this election, you know, what what else is the purpose of holding power? S sort of like um, Democrats after the Affordable Care Pact, Pact was passed and. Um, in 2009, where some people said, look, I know we're going to get creamed in the midterms because of this, but, you know, it was the right thing to do and they're going to have a hard time on doing it. Um, and uh, I, I think that there's a lot of traditional strategists who would say, looking at the numbers, it's, it's sort of like, it's, it's sort of indisputable uh, that things have gotten worse for Republicans here. But um, the, the real hardcore uh, Make America Great Again people for whom I, I don't, I'm not sure that abortion was really an animating principle behind the MAGA movement, right? It's like uh, the fact that Trump, um, who's, who's I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure is responsible for like 40 to 50 abortions in his life. Um, the fact that Trump eventually got behind this like Christian fanatic uh, supremacist idea of, of banning all abortions under all circumstances, it's, it's like, a, it was like uh, a fusion. You know, you had the the hardcore evangelicals, you have the Federalist Society people who have been pushing this for a long time. It's been a, an animating principle of Republican politics, of conservative politics. Um, and you have the MAGA movement, which is sort of like anti-establishment, uh, anti-immigration, uh, faux populist, um, racist, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I've, you know, if you'd asked me in 2015, what are the top five issues animating the Trump people? I would not have put abortion in there. Um, but it's like, you know, Trump took over the party. And when you take over the party, uh, you bring your issue positions with you. You change the party's positions on some of these things. Um, interestingly, the, here is a case where I think the party, the Republican, ex the existing Republican Party, uh, sort of hitched, like brought Trump along for this ride to ban abortion or to, to overturn Roe v. Wade, convinced them that he had to, to appoint justices that were on record as saying that they would do this. And he dutifully complied, right? Um, you would think if he was really an anti-establishmentarian, 
Um, he would have said, I'm, I'm not, you know, you're not going to hand me a list and tell me which judges to pick. I pick my own judges, you know, whoever I want, whoever loves Trump, you know, <laughs> you love Trump, you get to be on the back. That's how it works, you know. But instead, he took, he took these psychopaths' list and just, just put it into practice. Um, and so um, I think that they're, again, and it, it's understandable in some, to, to some extent because the rank and file Republicans looked at the environment two months ago and were like, we are going to clean house just like 2010. Um, and, and they're having trouble processing that. But, uh, you know, they, they also can't, they like Mitch McConnell doesn't have any control over like Oklahoma or Idaho Republicans. Like the people who are pushing the most extreme positions here at the state level are not under the thumb of the National Republican Party. I mean, that's American party politics in a nutshell. Right? Like the National Democratic Party has like no control over the Illinois Democrats. They can do whatever they want. Um, these are like very yeah. loose organizations. Um, and, the, and, the, and the reality is that the, the abortion train is being driven by the most extreme fanatics in the Republican Party to the detriment of the party as a whole. I'm sure that McConnell and McCarthy in their memoirs 20 years from now um, are going to have a chapter about how they wished that John Roberts had been able to talk one of these knuckleheads <laughs> yeah. into, into doing a 15-week ban that, that would not have been described or narrated as um as a total ban on abortion in these states or like you know they wouldn't i don't even think they would have said roe v wade is overturned they would have said like oh the supreme court like adjusts the viability threshold of roe v wade something like that right yeah um which would have had a i think a dramatically different political impact than what we're seeing right now um, and i'm sure that that's what they wish had happened that's not what had happened i don't know if you heard mcconnell say this the other day but he said um uh, I think, you know, I think we're going to take the House, but I think, you know, we, we might not take the Senate back. And then he, he looked into the camera and he said, candidate quality matters. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And then all uh, the Republicans got MAGA got mad at him. Uh, How dare you attack Herschel Walker? He's the candidate <laughs> from God. What are you talking about? Oh, man? my God. Dr. Oz, what a, what a dream candidate, you know, to say. So, yeah, that's the situation. I'm enjoying it. So. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, this is my take on all this. Uh, the the House, I'm very uh, skeptical about the Democrats taking the House because House districts have been gerrymandered, but you can't gerrymander a state. So the only thing the Republicans do in that situation is try to cheat when it's over, and it's what they're setting up to do in Wisconsin and Michigan and uh, uh, Pennsylvania and Georgia and Florida, et cetera, and so forth, to guarantee they win even when they lose, which is a pretty frightening thought. Uh, and it's the end of democracy as we know it uh, in in our country. Uh, I I would say, in terms of abortion, uh, and get your thoughts on this, that the reason MAGA uh, has embraced uh, their uh, anti their strident anti-abortion zealotry uh, is uh, well. There's a couple of reasons, but the one that uh, sticks in my mind is that in somehow or other it convinces them they're doing something righteous. Uh, and so it adds this underlying assumption in their rhetoric that they're the good guys. They're the ones standing up for the most vulnerable. Uh, they're the one taking us the moral stand, the high moral stand. And everybody else is evil. And so in that regards, they could justify absolutely anything that Donald Trump does on the grounds of, well, he appointed a pro- uh, anti-abortion judge uh it, and or like in this case of this one guy mark kern who's running for uh supreme court here in illinois he did 
denounced John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, because he got into bed with Planned Parenthood and is responsible for the death of millions and millions of black children. Really whacked out, twisted stuff. But it's how they justify, David, the fact that they're utterly freaking worthless uh, on every issue that matters to man, living human beings who are like in the world right now. That's my theory. What's your take? It's an interesting theory. I'm, I'm, you know, I think there's something to it. I also think that there's an element of, uh, you remember this essay by Adam Serwer a couple of years ago, I think it was in the Atlantic. It's called the cruelty is the point. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's all about the MAGA movement and it's, sort of proclivity to enjoy inflicting suffering and pain and anxiety and distress on their political adversaries. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think you're onto something. Obviously, I, I do think you, in order to want to win a policy war, you have to think that you're right, right? Uh, and I think that many of the people who were involved in the, uh, the anti-choice movement um, sincerely believe that they are saving the souls of millions of unborn children, right? Um, but for the again, for the MAGA people, you know, <laughs> that is the, the people that have been brought into politics more directly since Trump was elected, not the pre-existing evangelical pro-life people, but you're, you know, the, the people that you find in the Trump diners, you know, and the people that are rolling coal in their in their pickup trucks and stuff like that. I honestly think they are much happier about the idea of depriving women of their freedom. Mm -hmm. um, and, and putting and putting people back under the thumb of the of the white male patriarchy, um, I think that they love the fact that women are freaking out all across the country. Uh, they love the fact that people like like pregnant people are like, should I travel to this place? Am I going to die there? Like, what if I what if I have a complication in my pregnancy? Um, I think they love the fact that liberals are talking about leaving Texas and and other places where these bans have been put into place. Um, they just love it. They love, they love to see us suffer, you know? Um, and that's like something that I really think like distinguishes the MAGA movement from, uh, from, from our side, right. From the progressive left, which is like, I want, you know, I want to do the things that I want to do because I think that they will make the United States a better place to live for, for he the human beings that live here. Um, I don't enjoy people suffering, you know, like if, if, if Democrats win or progressive wins and, and Republicans are like freaked out and they can't sleep and they got to go on seven different antidepressants. That doesn't actually make me happy, right? Yeah. Like I prefer it not work that way. And it's certainly not the motivating principle. Like I don't want to drink conservative tears just for the sake of doing it because it feels good, right? Yeah. Like I have a public policy goal in mind. Um, and I'm not really convinced that the mega people have a public policy goal in mind other than inflicting suffering on people that they hate. Um, you know, they, they just, they, um, it's like they think that we're all a bunch of like skinny jeans wearing like latte sipping uh, cosmopolitans with no values. And they they just they just want to they just want to take stuff from us. Um, and it's like, OK, you know, that's what politics is about. That's what politics is about. But um, don't don't stand up there and pretend that you're a crusader for the unborn, man. You, yeah. you just want to make women suffer. Just admit it. Wow, that's uh, that was a great riff. And you're, uh, I think you're absolutely on to something. Uh, and it's true. Uh, when I think about a um, the consternation that has greeted uh, Joe Biden finally uh, denouncing MAGA Republicans and how outraged Republicans are, and then I think about the contrast of just the routine bashing and mocking of any Democrat. They're all either leftist Democrats, well, they're always always lefties, uh, or they're. Uh, 
controlled by lefties. Sometimes they make that distinction. You know, sometimes Nancy Pelosi is a lefty, and sometimes she's controlled by the radical left, uh, which is such like a hilarious distortion of anything resembling reality. But you're right. Uh, it, it, the gleefulness with which uh, they go after uh, Democrats and celebrate uh, mocking them, uh, and then the the, uh, the fake anguish that they display when you criticize them. And by the way, were you uh, appreciative when uh, Joe Biden uh, finally talked about the fascist states and uh, MAGA Republicans? Ben, I got to tell you, the <clears throat> the shift in the communications strategy coming out of the White House over the last three weeks or so makes me so happy that it, like it keeps me up at night. The level of happiness that I feel. Um, it's like, you know, you got the White House Twitter account being run by this uh, this person from New Jersey, my home state representing. Uh, and, and she's just like, you know, we're going to take the fight right to him, right? We're going to say that the MAGA people are a threat to democracy. Uh, the MAGA people are extremists. Um, and they have been hammering this point for weeks now in a way that they never, ever had been willing to do before. Mm -hmm. Okay, Do I still have my quibbles with it? Yeah. Um, because the reality is that the MAGA people and the Republican Party are one and the same. They are coterminous. Uh, there is no distinction between them anymore. The party has been completely taken over by these forces. And so I would still love to see the president and his allies sort of like using that sharp language, not just against MAGA, but against the Republican Party. Um, but I've accepted that that's not going to happen. And uh, so I was I was very pleased to hear the speech that Biden gave. It was short. It was to the point. Um, I thought he did well, performed well. Um, and it was a, it was a kind of a call to not to arms, but a call to electoral arms saying, look, look, this is what these people want to do. You know, they don't care about democracy. They want to dismantle it. Get out there and vote. Keep them from taking office. It's up to you. Um, we have to we have to fight this together. I wish that they were willing to employ, uh, you know, hardball tactics in, in Congress to to fight some of this stuff, as I, as I outlined in the book. But that's not going to happen with the 50-50 Senate either. So it's like, but, you know, I, I, but I'm really happy to see the rhetorical shift um, that we're not just like tiptoeing around the real issue here, which is that one of our two major political parties has been taken over by a anti-democratic, uh, you know, proto-fascist extremist group. And the fact that they're willing to start using that language, you know, fascism, threats to democracy, you, you know, turning the word, turning the word and the idea of MAGA into something negative, um and scary which they have not yet been willing to do before this month um this is all very smart stuff that they're doing clearly they've been listening to david ferris on the ben jarofsky show because right. you've been calling for this literally for every moment you've been on this show and you've been on the show as a regular basis for five years uh and uh, we just have a blast on the show with the concept of maga like and i got it from trump i just want to say this maga people trump was the one i first heard just used the word MAGA like it referred to a living human being. Well, MAGA is nice. Remember, I don't know if you remember this one. MAGA <laughs> likes black people. I think that's what the quote was. MAGA, <laughs> MAGA likes black people. I, yeah. And so ever since then, it's like, okay, I got it from Donnie. MAGA. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, I love it. I hope they keep it up. My concern always with Democrats, always with Democrats, is instead of putting – keeping the metal, the foot on the pedal, metal to the pedal or whatever. No, they let up. They always let up. They, oh, they get scared. Oh, they got a poll about some 
swing voter in Maryland. Uh oh, better pull back, pull back, pull back. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? I've been watching it for years. The Rahm Emanuel's in the party. They take control, you know, cutting deals. So I, I don't know. I hope they've learned their lesson. I, I don't know. All right. Speaking of which, uh, since you've been on last on the show, uh, President Biden uh, came out with a, a program that would alleviate some debt. We've had conversation about this on the show. Uh, it's means tested. So he's trying to address all the concerns uh, that uh, Democrats and centrists have about student debt. None of which I share, but whatever. He's, you know, he's he's a centrist at heart, so he's playing the centrist as well. Uh, the blowback from Republicans was just—I <laughs> can't even get the words out, David. It was just so over the top. You would—it was as though he was like bringing tanks down the Washington or something and imposing you know, totalitarian government or communist rule. Talk about the limitations and the positive aspects of the, the student debt relief and the Republican response. Go ahead. Sure. Um, this is, um, you know, Biden is on a roll. I mean, I, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, Ben. I mean, that's just the, the way things were a couple of months ago. I just was like, I, I just felt completely hopeless about this election, about this Congress and about this president. Um, I don't know, somebody flipped a switch and the dude is just, um, you know, is racking up W's like, uh, like never before. And this is a big deal. Um, the, the Biden and the Democrats promised people with student loan debt that they would do something about it. And that something has to be more than like taking a half a point off the interest rate, you know. Um, and so $10,000 for, for a lot of people, I was really pleased to see um, that that number is double for Pell Grant recipients. Uh, because Pell Grant recipient, it's a it's a kind of a federal um, loan that, that that goes to people, uh, goes to folks from generally from uh, lower income backgrounds and, and more marginalized people who who go to college, and those people are disproportionately, uh, those people are less likely to actually graduate, right? So I don't know if this is widely known, uh, especially for for people that didn't go to college and don't work in education, it is possible to take out a hundred thousand dollars in loans to go to college and then drop out, and you still got to pay them back, and there are a lot of places that have predatory practices where they they load students up with loans students they know perfectly well should not be in college in the first place uh, they take their money they watch them drop out and then those students are on the hook for that money for the rest of their lives and so twenty thousand dollars for your average pell grant recipient um, especially your average recipient who did not actually get the college degree is a life-changing amount of money yeah um now yeah there are a lot of people out there with 80 90 hundred thousand dollars in debt and you know ten or ten thousand or twenty thousand might you know, might not change their lives, although it does make an impact. Um, but I think it's worth noting that the, you know, the vast majority of people who have student loan debt have an amount of student loan debt that ten or twenty thousand dollars makes a huge difference in terms of how much they have to pay left, left to pay. Okay, um, so it's good. It's good policy from that perspective, right? It, re it relieves um, some of the, the the loan burden from the people who most need that relief. It'll free up money in the economy. You know, people may be more likely to make make purchases of homes and cars and. Uh, other things to keep the economy humming if that's what we're worried about but really as a moral matter right like the way that we finance higher education in this country is is deranged you know having 18 year olds sign sign their lives away to to take out a hundred thousand dollars in debt it's just not good small d democratic practice there's really no ethical justification for the way that we do these things here and i, I say this as somebody i work in higher education then i teach kids that students who have taken out these loans and it's one of the one thing really makes me the most uncomfortable about what I do. 
is the fact that I'm I'm enmeshed in this system. I benefit from it. Right? It pays my salary. I don't like how it works. I wish it worked some other way. Um, and the, and the worst thing I could say about this plan is that it doesn't do anything to address the the existing problem, right? Which is to say, we just wiped out a bunch of student loan debt, and then tomorrow morning, you know, a bunch of borrowers are gonna are gonna start racking up the debt all over again. Yeah. Maybe even worse, like thinking that they will get relief down the road. And if we don't put the right kind of people in power, they definitely won't get that relief. So, um, but the reality is nothing Biden can do about that, right? Directly. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, I think a good legal case that he can forgive as much student debt as he wants. Um, but he cannot magically remake the, the U.S. higher education system in such a way that it's less predatory and depends less on um, passing the cost of that education off to the, on, onto the consumers. Um, you can't go back 40 years and, and restore the higher education budgets of all the state universities in the country uh, that decided to uh, to do other things with their with their cash other than finance higher education. You can't do anything about the fact that everybody over the age of 50 probably thinks that college is like functionally free. Um, it's like, oh, student loan debt, would you take out 200 bucks to get your books or something? And it's like, no, man, you 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 all did this, right? Like, yeah, yeah, boomers yeah. and the Xers, you know, I'm an Xer. We all like this was our generation's deal. This is what we did, right? Um, we took a hatchet to higher education. We destroyed the system that we had. Um, we made it punitively expensive for most people to go to college. Um, and for Republicans to sit back and be like, no, when you take out a loan, you repay it. You know, it's like, man, get out of here with that stuff. You know, it's like, I just, the thing I don't understand about conservatism is that you, you have this policy that will like unambiguously help hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people improve their lives instantly. It costs you nothing, right? Uh, costs you nothing. Your taxes are not going up because of this. It's not happening, okay? There's zero cost to the taxpayer here, really. Um, it's not gonna come out of your pocket. It's, it's really, if you didn't go to college or you paid off your college loans a long time ago, good for you. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's great. Um, but it's like if, um, you know, it's like if in the last scene of Stranger Things, they were like, well, I mean, the Demogorgon ate all these other people. Like, it's not really fair for them not to eat us, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, they suffered, so, you know, we suffered, so let's all suffer together. It's like, no, like, why wouldn't you just, like, take the opportunity to improve people's lives? And then why wouldn't you, if you think that the system is so bad, and interestingly, I think Republicans do think the loan system is bad. Um, that's, like, something everybody agrees on. <laughs> everybody agrees the way that we finance higher education is, is bankrupt and broken. Um, and it's like, okay, if you think that's the real problem here, fix it. Right, like come up with something. Get you know, get your gang of eight in the Senate together, work your centrist magic, get Romney and Manchin on the same page, and get some legislation to fix this problem. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean nationalizing every private university in the country, but it could mean really serious reform to the way we, that we do student loans, including make it easier to, to declare bankruptcy. There should not be interest on these loans. It's so deranged uh, because people end up paying back far more money than they ever took out in the first place, or They'll be, they'll be paying, they'll be making these payments, these minimum payments for 10 years, only to wake up and be like, oh, wow, I'm actually further in debt than I was because I was just making the minimum payment. It's just all sorts of like really horrible things. So anyway, I think it's great policy. I think it's gross the way that Republicans reacted um, as if this is some kind of handout, you know, like that they, they don't say that about the mortgage interest tax reduction, right? They don't say that about all the different ways that the, that the uh, that conservatives and like rich white people have gained the tax system to benefit from it in every conceivable way, especially property owners, right? Especially business owners, especially hedge fund managers, right? Like we just, four weeks ago, Kirsten Cinema spiked an entire provision 
um, in the budget reconciliation bill because the hedge fund bros pulled her aside and were like, can you do this for us? And she was like, sure thing, dudes, absolutely. <laughs> like, where was the outrage about that? <clears throat> wow. That's what I think about it. What a great riff. Uh, I'm, all right, so what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna uh, bring you back to something you said uh, about 10 minutes before you went on the riff. So you're looking for a rhyme or reason why Republicans would be opposed to uh, helping people with uh, student debt. And I remind you what you said about 10 minutes ago, uh, the MAGA movement uh, sort of is, uh, its whole purpose is to bring about misery uh, to other people. And uh, so one, it, this is beneficial because it makes other people's lives miserable. And two, uh, in their minds, it's they've identified it as an issue that people who trend Democrat would go for. Uh, and so what they do, David, instead of trying to win over uh, those people with policies that might benefit their life, is they use those people as what? Uh, they create uh, demons out of those people that they can use to fire up an anger and upset their mega base. And so I don't see the Republican. That's but the one thing I have to disagree with you on on your riff is that you said that uh, Republicans and Democrats see it's it's problematic. I don't. I've never seen Republicans in this day and age make it a serious uh, effort to change and improve this system. It's like anything else on the agenda that we climate change. You could do the whole list. They just either they deny it exists. Yeah. So. Uh, but I think you you answered your own question before you asked the question, which is, ah, can we make people miserable? But so do you think it works? Just your sense of things like to like Ted Cruz says you're uh, the barista at your coffee shop, took out a loan and failed at college. And now she's trying to get you to pay back her loan and give her the middle finger. Uh, by denying her this chance. Do you think that will work with the public, that the public, the voting public is going to go, well, he raises a good point with yeah. the barista analogy. I didn't thought about it. Uh, what's your sense of how this plays with the public? A couple of thoughts. Okay, one, Republicans, I have to give them credit. Republicans are very, very good at exploiting the fact, and they know this, at exploiting the fact that most people didn't go to college, right? Um, that is about 40% of Americans have a college degree and uh, maybe closer to 50% went and did some college. Um, but for, but for, a, I think a majority of the country, colleges is like, like this black box that they only hear about on Fox news. Um, and they're really great at, at convincing the public that what actually goes on in universities is that, um, we run these little Marxist boot camps um, and, and, and turn out communists and, and brainwash people and, I was like, oh, you believe in the free market? F for you. You know, it's like, I work at a social justice university. I don't do that. I don't brainwash people. Um, so you, you heard uh, Lauren Boebert, this like deranged congresswoman uh, from Colorado. She said, oh, well, all those people with their degrees in uh, lesbian dance theory. Um, and it's like uh, academic Twitter went nuts with this. They were like, oh, what's, when's the department meeting for, for lesbian dance? Like, and, I, and it's like, you know, obviously there's no such thing as lesbian dance, right? Like if you look at the degree... Uh, production in, in major research universities or, or the flagship colleges of the states or even your average private university, most people are getting degrees in, in STEM and in math and in yeah. psychology. Like people are not generally getting degrees in like American studies or or black studies or whatever. These are like 
very marginal numbers of people who are getting the degrees that turn people on the right into like frothing maniacs because they just don't think that people should be learning those things. Um, so it's always, it has always paid for them to attack the most outrageous class or program or professor that they can find in the academy and hang, uh, hang that person's craziness on, on the rest of us. And so that's a tried and true strategy. They're, they're at it again. And of course it could work. What, I, what is encouraging to me is that normally this is what would have happened as of June, 2022, right? Like Biden passes, he's like, let's do the student loan relief. Right. And then everybody on the right is like, that's not fair. You know, uh, what about this person? It, so you pay, you take out a loan, you should pay it back. And the New York Times will both sides it. Yeah. yeah. And they'll, go to a, they'll go to a Trump diner and they'll be like, I don't think that uh, the lesbian dance theorists should have their loans repaid or the, you know, the rich lawyers from Harvard should have their loans re, you know, repaid. And then CNN headline, um, you know, Republicans critique uh, lesbian dance theory loan repayment. Right. Yeah. And, and what has what stopped that in its tracks? immediately after Biden did this was the new communication strategy, right? Um, because all, all these like um, re Republican um, sociopaths went on Twitter and said the same stuff, you know, like, it's not fair. It's, you know, you should take out a loan. You should pay a personal responsibility, blah, blah, blah. Biden's bailing out the Harvard lawyers. Um, in the White House, this, this, uh, this woman from New Jersey, I can't remember her name, sorry, but she, but she took over the White House um, Twitter account. Did you see this? Yes. Uh, and one after another, just like Marjorie Taylor Greene took out $182,000 in PPP loans during the pandemic, and they were forgiven. And on and on, to the point where I was like, why are so many people in Congress getting PPP loans? Like, what is the what what is their side hustle? That they <laughs> yeah. need all this money to cover their businesses. Like, aren't you in Congress? Isn't that your job? Um, but it, complete, it completely stopped this like, it's not fair. Let's stop that conversation in, in its tracks. And it turned the conversation to the White House Twitter account. Yeah. Right? Um, so instead of arguing about the fairness or unfairness of student loans, Republicans were attacking the White House Twitter account um, and, and defending the idea of taking out a PPP loan um, because you know the government shut down the economy. It's like, no, literally they really didn't do that anywhere except for like three weeks in Illinois, but like, sure. Um, anyway, uh, it, it's different, that's different. It's a different kind of loan, right? It was, a, we were just suffering from hardship. And so we took out a loan to pay the employees. And it's like, yeah, I mean, most, most people are not taking out student loans to like light the money on fire and, and, and smoke weed in it or something, you know, like they're trying to, they're trying to better their lives. So anyway, my point is generally speaking, the idea of student loan relief pulls well, right? Um, you know, 60, 50, 60% of people believe that there's a problem. Relieving some of that debt would be good for the economy, be the right thing to do. And the devil is in the details, right? The devil is you got to do the thing. Then you got to come up with a strategy to defend it. And that yeah. is what is different about like whatever, you know, I, I, I don't know what, what drugs got done in the Oval Office about six years <laughs> ago. Yeah. Uh, there's a different spirit coming out of that place. And you can feel it in this issue as much as you can anywhere else where they're combative. They're not defensive, right? They're not trotting out like a white paper um, and, and, and sending the people out onto the Sunday shows to be like, well, well, uh, 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 so uh, you, as you'll see that 33% of borrowers will now, yeah. uh, they're just like, Dude, this is the right thing to do. And you are a hypocrite. Yes. You're a hypocrite. And they, they make the conversation about that. Yeah, no, that was a great that was a great riff, especially the New York Times. Uh, and I say this as a guy who subscribes to the New York Times. So uh give you guys a lot of money, New York Times. So stop crying, sobbing. But the way that that both sides thing that the New York Times plays is a joke. An absolute freaking joke because the reality is New York Times, the other side hates you, mocks you, maligns you. No matter how many sides you put on there, they're going to say you're biased. So why don't you just tell the freaking truth?
And they, they, who? Where is the Wall Street Journal? Let's have a roundtable with three lefties. We're going to have David Ferris, Ben Jarofsky, and Carlos Ramirez Rosa in a uh, having a, a a dialogue about the state of the. When has that ever been in the New? But no, the New York in the Wall Street Journal, but the New York Times. Let's get three ra- raving lunatics. Give them prime real estate. Oh my God, the New York Times. What a yeah. Anyway, one, um, did you see this one from a few days ago? No. Uh, the headline was um, uh, <laughs> I'm not making this up. Uh, if there's one thing the two parties can agree about is that the other side is the is the real threat to democracy. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Like, oh my just, god. Um, like God level, both sidesism. You know. Wow. <laughs> just, that just. I mean, I uh, don't. Oh, I I like I try not to write column after column about it. I did one about um, uh, what's his name, Tom Friedman, where he was. Tr- trying to find a middle ground so he was denouncing the left and the right and the right the things he was denouncing about the right was like killing people and uh you know threatening their lives and uh, overtaking capital and the thing about the left was i don't know uh you know uh like a higher tax on rich people or something i mean it was just like yeah are you actually comparing one to the other I mean, yeah this so. is why I, t- I think i told you this last time but every you all you all have to go and and, and follow the New York Times pitch bot on Twitter. It's incredible. They've been on such a roll lately. Um, one of which, I think the one of the tweets said, um, whether it's uh, Hillary Clinton um, using a, a private, well-vetted server to, to host some of her emails as Secretary of State, um, or Donald Trump selling nuclear secrets to our adversaries, both sides have a problem with information management. Um, wait, Tim, is that a literal headline or do they no, make it's not a, so this is these are all jokes, right? Got it, got it. Okay, um, so so it's, I could read I could just see that headline in the in both yes. and yeah. you see that you see the you see the tweets from this account, and you're like, oh, that that is absolutely something the Times would print. And I, like you, I'm a I'm a subscriber to the Times. I'm not gonna cancel the Times because I get mad at them, whatever. Uh, I think 90% of the stuff that they do is great, it's essential work, but some of their headline writers are bad. Um, and some of the editorial judgments that they make, especially in the run-up to elections like this, are just indefensible. All right. Uh, since you uh, alluded to uh, stealing secrets, we'll close with a special master. We've been having a field day in the show talking about the special master. Uh, one of our guests uh, claims that it's a remnant from the slavery days. Uh, shout out Monroe Anderson. That was a pretty good joke. Uh, special master. Another uh, said it was a dominatrix. Uh, and uh, so we've had a lot of uh, uh, riffs on the, the concept of a special master. I cannot believe Donald Trump found a judge who bought, I mean, who bought the argument that Donald Trump's lawyers made for the need. I don't, I think Donald Trump is like, they bought it. They, she actually bought it. This is too easy. I actually have to believe that's what happened. He cannot believe it a million years. He, when he, when they wrote that brief, which is calling for the special master was such a joke. Everybody made fun of it. Nobody thought he would get it. And this judge gave it to him. David Ferris, please explain. What do you actually, I'm going to, I'm going to start with this question because I've had already a lengthy conversation with various guests about the issues involved, stealing papers, documents from the white house and having a, a, a lawyer or a representative go through it to see if there's anything that's privileged information that Donald Trump had, should have access to. How do you think this impacts the election, you know, these like the raid, you're not supposed to call it a raid, but I always call it a raid. The photos of the documents, uh, Trump's appeal, the special master order or the ruling by the judge. What's your sense of how this 
is going to play out in these midterms? You know, I don't know. My sense is that having this ding dong continue to be in the news is good for Democrats. You know, he's not on the ballot, but he's like lurking out there, um, like some more like weird stalker, like trying to get back into the house, you know. Um, and so to the extent that Donald Trump is in the headlines for, so, you know, theft of documents of any kind, I don't see the downside here for Democrats. Right. And I, I don't I don't I actually don't ultimately think that the Mar-a-Lago raid is going to be particularly impactful in, in the election because that we already know that that DOJ is not going to make a move on him until after the midterms out of a sense of propriety. And, and so it's designed to have the, to, to minimize the impact of this on the election. As for the special master. OK, first of all, um, the person who issued this order, Judge uh, Eileen, I keep wanting to call her Diane Cannon. Uh, yeah, but it's yeah. Eileen Cannon. Yeah. Okay, um, is one of these like um, glorified children that that Trump put on the on the bench. I think she was 37 when she was appointed to a lifetime position um, in the Federalist Society. I'm sorry, in the courts. Um, and uh, she just she's one of the Trump judges. Uh, you know, like some of these people are qualified, some of them are not. Okay, she 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 falls into the latter category, right? Like the the actual legal case here, and, and I'm not. I'm, uh, I, I regret to say I'm not. A, I'm not a huge expert on the, the on the on the deep legal issues at stake here. Um, but I have yet to read anyone that thinks that there's any merit to the legal argument here. Like he cannot be. He can't exert executive privilege over documents that he does not have the right to have in his house. Okay. Once yeah. he took those documents out of his house, he was in violation of the Presidential Records Act, probably the Espionage Act, God knows what else. And you you can't uh, you can't claim executive privilege over a set of documents that you illegally took out of the White House. Um, and so Cannon can appoint this special master. It can be Jared. I don't know who it's going to be. Um, Jared. <laughs> Jared, Ivanka, you know, what? I don't know who she's going to pick. I think the, the idea is like you're looking for a unicorn, right? Um, someone yeah. who's not connected to the case and um, it, it, but, has the, but has the legal expertise to do what needs to be done here, which involves classified information. And so you're talking about a very small universe of people that could actually review these documents. Um, I think ultimately this is going to get reversed by a, by a different judge and laughed out of court, and the DOJ is going to resume its investigation. Um, I think the worst thing that can happen here is the investigation gets slowed down by a couple of weeks, but that doesn't really concern me because we, we know that this is not going to be resolved before November anyway. Um, and so Republicans, you know, they're like, ha-ha, I told you it was improper. That's why they're going to have somebody look it over. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, look it over and find out that Donald Trump was selling nuclear secrets to the Saudis or whatever it was he was doing. <laughs> stuff was bad. He was up to no good. They know it. Um, and uh, they can appoint whoever they want to review these materials. But th there is absolutely no legal argument that I'm aware of to justify Cannon's order here. Um, it's not clear that she even has the authority to stop a criminal investigation. I don't think that she does. Um, if I had to guess, I would say DOJ is just, just kind of going to ignore her <laughs> right? um, and continue doing what they were doing. So I I, if I was your listeners, I would not lose any sleep over these special, over these very, very special. I, uh, that, that's good advice. Uh, there's so much things in the world to lose sleep over uh, these days, and this you shouldn't add to it with unnecessary things to lose sleep over. I, I'm with you 100% on this. I do sort of appreciate, on one level, just the introduction of the concept, the term special master. I'd never heard of it. I've been around a long time, following politics a long time. I never heard of it. It's like, thank you, Donald Trump. And I got to give you credit. Like, how did you, Donald Trump, know? how did you know about <laughs> special master? And 
you know, and now you got all these Republican MAGA types. Oh, yeah, we need a special master. Like, meanwhile, in Illinois, David, they're calling for the death penalty back. You know what I mean? Like the ultimate judicial decision that there is no appeal back from. You know what I mean? They're all over the map, MAGA. Wow. Ideological consistency is not their their strength. No. Uh, anyway, all right, David, it was a pleasure talking to you. It's always a blast talking to you, and it makes me laugh at the the insane things that are happening in the world all the time. Uh, always a pleasure, Ben. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, very good. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, I'm sure. Uh, that's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.